In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. NASA runs a secret space program. It's called India. Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. The moon is made of cheese. Goat cheese. So say. Anything goes in Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. You're listening to 105.3 New Orleans. New Orleans. Uh, Paratopia. It's Jeff, it's Jer. It's Jeff and Jer. I may sound a little different because uh, I'm on a Paratopia whale watch right now. I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I'm phoning it in. I'm phoning the show in as we're prone, prone to do in our later episodes when we get big and famous and crotchety. Uh, in any event, we have a very special guest, um, Angela Joyner, who you all know from The Joyner Report. Uh, that's her own special radio show. Um, but probably you know her more so from the Stevensville sightings. Um, she's the reporter, um, and I don't remember the paper, and I don't have it in front of me because that's all part of phoning it in. <laughs> but I'm sure she'll... She'll tell us what paper it was she worked for out there. Uh, who, uh, you know, a bunch of people saw a giant mile-long triangular craft, and it got a little wacky, and she got an award for it from Stephen Bassett. Without further ado, <laughs> Angela Joyner. Is that, is that all about right? <laughs> That's all about right, yes. <laughs> okay, excellent. You're still, you're still a reporter, just not with that, that paper. Right. Um, I freelance for the most of the time for the Abilene Reporter News, of course, in Abilene, Texas. The paper that I worked at when the big UFO story broke in, in January of 2008 was the Stephenville Empire Tribune, but I'm not there any longer. Okay. And uh, so well, the thing I like come home. Yeah. Do what? I was going to say, the thing that really interests us about you, or me anyway, I should speak for me, um, is that you are an outsider to this UFO stuff, and um, and you've sort of stuck to it. And I guess you don't really have to. I mean, if you're still a reporter for a newspaper, there's no reason for you to uh, to do a, a you know UFO podcast or anything like that, um, except that it's intriguing you. What is it about this stuff that has so caught your attention that you've stuck with it past the original Stevensville? Well, before the sighting happened, um, I really didn't even know there was such a thing as a UFO community. I didn't realize that there were sightings all over the world almost on a daily basis. And um, so I remember one thing at the paper. I kept getting this email from this guy named Timothy Good. And he kept wanting me to get his book, and I kept thinking, who is this guy? Why does he want me to get his book, you know? And um, I should try that. 
<laughs> Here, I want you to, have, I want you to buy my book. To help me. You know, he was trying to, to help me. He was trying to say, you know, there's a lot of information in there that, that would help me to understand what was happening. And um, uh, as you know, you know, the story went international in about four days, four or five days. And um, the whole thing was just so intriguing to me. And then um, as uh, we went along and Robert Powell and Glenn Schultz began uh, working on the Stephenville radar report, well, um, that FOIA was sent off in February. So I stayed interested uh, then because they would include me on all of their emails back and forth, you know, and and um, and they needed me to help them with the witnesses and things like that. So when it really came down to it that, uh, yes, the radar confirmed uh, that there really was some sort of unknown object here that um, confirmed eight of the witnesses in time and direction, that that wowed me. I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, there really was something here. And, and, and I already knew that, but it just helped uh, kind of solidify things. And, and as we went along and worked on that radar report, um, I just got more and more interested. And people were sending me information from all over the place. You know, I was getting emails from all over the world. And, um, um, and then they started asking me to speak and things like that. And it, it just opened up a whole new culture to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> anything weird about it? <laughs> now that you've been here and been able to look around and, uh, and see what's what, um, is there anything, I don't know, I, 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 how would you compare, for instance, working in a paranormal field to working at a paper? How are the people, are they different, uh, you know, anything like that? Well, to me, the paranormal field or the UFO field, I don't really deal too much with all things paranormal. But uh, um, it's a lot more interesting than a school board meeting. (laughs) And I covered a lot of those for the paper. (laughs) And, uh, um, you know, I have met some of the most intelligent people that I've ever met. And and I think I, uh, before this happened, I probably had sort of a, mm, I don't know what you would want to call it, not really a bias, but uh, I guess I really did think that probably people that were um, into this sort of thing weren't real grounded. But I found out that was not the case. I mean, people with doctorates, you know, with 30 years of research into this that, um, you know, astronauts, um, people that are considered American heroes, I consider the astronauts American heroes, um, just from all walks of life. And uh, and, and what I found out really was um, there's not that there's not that many kooks in it. <laughs> Like some some people that didn't know about it, you know, like I didn't, might think, but that's really not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff? Now, I have been approached by, by some people that, you know, were not exactly, um, uh, I don't know what to call it. Sane? <laughs> they were a little different, you know. Well, yeah, that's why I was just sort of jokingly saying, uh, Jeff, you know, maybe, maybe he'd like to chime in on whether or not they're crazy people. Is the Michael Sala thing something that you can talk about or no? Well, I don't know what Michael Sala thing you're referring to, but 
Uh, he had mailed or, or called your newspaper to try to get your job back. Oh, yeah, he sent a letter. Uh, oh, wait, let, let's, set, let's set this up, because uh, Michael Sala is uh, part of the, uh, the, the exopolitical movement, uh, which we here at Paratopia like to uh, take cheap shots at all the time. So, without further ado, here's a Michael Sala story. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at that time, I didn't know who Michael Sala was either. I mean, I didn't know who anybody was. So, um, after I had left the newspaper, the um, uh, publisher called me. This is kind of a weird story, but um, there was uh, somebody that worked for the newspaper that had already uh, asked me to speak at a local civic club, and, um, and I had already agreed to that, so, you know, I was going to do that, and um, because... She had his phone number. She called me up at this luncheon that I was speaking at, you know, over his phone and said, you know, what is the deal? People are saying that we fired you. We are being inundated with phone calls and emails and faxes. Can you stop this? And I think she said so was the city, the, like, city hall office in Stephenville. Mm-hmm. And so I found out that one of the things that was done was um, Michael Sala had written a letter on my behalf um, asking them to apologize to me. It was a fairly long letter. I, I don't remember it word for word now. Asking them to apologize to me and, and to uh, give my job back to me. But I didn't want my job back. And um, it was a very uncomfortable place for for me to be in and so once she called me you know I said you know look I don't know how this is all happening but you know I will do what I can and that's a, you know, all I can do and I did put out the word then please don't uh, call the newspaper please don't email them or fax them um, you know because I don't I don't want to go back to work there <laughs> hmm yeah, well, that that must be kind of weird. I mean, did you know him at all before that? No, I did not know him at all. But, you know, I did not know um, many of these people. Like um, Grant Cameron has turned out to be um, a very close friend of mine. And I will say that the UFO community, when all that happened, I mean, they really welcomed me with open arms and um, really embraced me, and it was it was really surprising to me. And so did those witnesses. the The main witnesses, I think, I will probably um, remain in touch with for the rest of my life. Um, that would be Steve Allen, Ricky Sorrells, uh, the constable Leroy Gayton, and uh, um, I think. You know, we'll always talk and always be friends. And, and that's sort of how, um, you know, the UFO community has been very special people. Like I met you, Jeremy, at the X conference. That's right. Well, in 2008. So you're, the, you're, you're the sexiest woman in ufology. You know this. That's, that's why we all gravitate toward you. I'm the what? <laughs> I said you're the what? sexiest woman in ufology. That's why we all gravitate toward you. Oh, yeah, trying to I tell you this, so. you ignore me. You ignore my advances. It must be because you're married or something. I hate that. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that might be. I am married. <laughs> but, uh, 
too, that's nice of you to say. But, you know, I remember um, being out on that uh, patio with you and, and, and talking to you, and you were sharing, you know, your story with me and everything that's happened with you. And I just found the people to be so warm and so kind, and and I've really enjoyed it. And I do want to stay in touch with people, and I do think it's a very um, interesting phenomena. Um, something is going on. I mean, you have TNF-16s up in there in Stephenville. At the same time, an unknown and an AWAC is on the in the area for four hours, so... Um, I'd like to be the one that finds out what what is that thing? What is happening? Well, yeah, and let's let's stick with this for just one second because you had mentioned the the radar reports. And um, is this the same radar report that uh, someone from MUFON had come on TV and said, "Well, we haven't really looked at this yet. We don't know what it means, but it looks like there were thousands of objects in the sky that night." Just no, bell for that must not be the same. No, no. Now, when we um. When we broke the news of the radar report being completed, it was on Larry King Live in July of 2008. Right. But it was never thousands of objects being found or something like that. Now, you know, um, <clears throat> in our area, we, we get five uh, radar towers, which was like, 2.8 million pieces of raw data that you go through line by line by line. And um, under the radar, something was flying under the radar here, it's uh, below 3,000 to 2,800 feet, so below that. So at times, you know, we would get an, an unknown popping up, because it had gone under the radar and then come back up above the 3,000 feet. But you can sort of tell that it is the same object because, you know, it continued on the same path. So, but, you know, you can't be absolutely sure. So, um, actually, this thing was doing some really crazy stuff. You know, it was going as fast as 2,100 miles per hour, then slowed down to, like, 520, and then slowed down to, like, 49 miles per hour. Mm. It should have fallen out of the sky, but it didn't. Mm. And, and to me... Huh? I said, where did it ultimately end up going? Well, we asked for radar data from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. for the night of January the 8th. Because the, the main sighting time, we thought, was about um, 6, 6.30. So... Um, we really, in hindsight, if we had known, we would have, you know, gone till midnight or something probably. But at 8 o'clock when the radar data ran out, the, this unknown was flying into uh, President Bush's Crawford Ranch. It was 10 miles from Crawford Ranch, flying without a transponder, unimpeded, and... Um, Obviously, that is a no-fly zone, and the area, the no-fly zone gets tighter when he's there. And uh, but he was not there that night. But still, he that thing, whatever it was, should not have been able to fly without a transponder. You know, that's what happened on 911. The the pilots turned off the transponders on those jets. Right. And so what's been um, a response to that? Hmm. 
What is then the official response to, to doing nothing about that? Well, you know, it's just been incredible because we sent um, uh, letters to to Homeland Security to um, about every senator or congressman you can think of, and and nobody's even answered them. They, um, I think, one man from NORAD did answer a general and just said he knew nothing of the uh, the incident that we were referring to. And um, so we wrote him back and, you know, offered to send him the radar report and all of that. And no response. It's like nobody cares. And what I think is, you know, um, here we spent all this money on Homeland Security and creating this office. And and then they, they didn't even respond to a FOIA, if I remember correctly. We sent a Freedom of Information Act there, too. And um, it wasn't responded to either. So, and here's the other thing: when um, this, when it did match up with eight of the witnesses in time and direction, and all of these people were located in different places. Okay, um, I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be a huge story. I really did, and I sent out press releases to all of the the major networks that had already been here previously. You know, like Good Morning America came here, um, um, different, you know, mainstream media. And I probably sent out, I think it was 18 press releases, not one response. And I thought, oh, my gosh, they're missing this. This is the big story because... This is about as hard of evidence as you're going to get. But since I've been in the newsroom for a while, I think probably what happened is um, an editor or a producer sees Stephenville, and the story broke six months before that. And they, oh, yeah, we've done that Stephenville thing. Let's find something else. You know, mm-hmm. we need something new. And uh, they didn't pick up pick it up at all, and I was really disappointed. Hmm. Well. Well. So only Larry now you... King Live picked it up. So yay for Larry. I'm King. sorry. Oh, Larry only King Larry Live, King yeah. picked it up. So yay for yeah. Larry King. <laughs> yeah, but then he still has his skeptics on to have a false debate. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, getting a little sick of that routine. Well, the, you know, and that's journalism. You have to present both sides. Um, I guess it doesn't matter who you choose to present both sides, but um, in, fair, in fairness, that's that's what they're doing is, you know, they're having, you know, the UFO people give their side, and then the debunker comes on and says, oh, no, this is not the, this couldn't have happened, blah, blah, blah. Right. So, but it's never someone so. who's like an expert in radar or, you know, it's not like, it's just someone who's like a professional debunker, like an like that out-of-work, uh, you know, Mr. Wizard guy or whatever his name is. The last time I was on um, Larry King, it was um, Bill Nye, the science guy. Remember right, him? Right, Bill Nye, the science guy. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. that was him. And I don't even really know what his last name is. I've forgotten now. But I just always <laughs> knew him as Bill Nye, the science guy, because I used to be a fifth fifth grade teacher. And those shows were great to use for teaching. And... Um, um, I can't remember, and there was another one. Uh, before that, it was Seth Shostak mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Um, SETI. Right. SETI. Right, and then the SETI people send their piece. We've found this out. The SETI people go on that show so that they can specifically uh, distance themselves from the UFO topic so that they can 
continue to receive funding and, and look legitimate. I mean, that's really all they care about. Mm-hmm. So, well, what <laughs> would happen if if someone from SETI came forward and said, "Yes, extraterrestrials are here. We are being visited." Well, th- their job would be over. Right. <laughs> this is true. So, mm-hmm. so you now know, you're doing. Not... Yeah, look, look, I just want to say you're you're doing the Joiner report. Um, yeah, how are you liking it? How are you differentiating yourself from other voices out there? Um, are you bringing your uh, I don't know your reporter your reporter voice to it? Your sort of reporter objectivity to it? Um, give us give us well, some details on the show. Let me tell you, the Joiner report was was born in the chat room of uh, the uh, X conference when um, it was being streamed live. Mm-hmm. You remember the X conference was being streamed. Yes. So I was in the chat room with some people, and uh, one was D. Andrew from Eye to the Sky. And they were talking about the different radio shows, and I, you know, wrote to them and said, well, we should all have our own radio show. And they said, well, you should. <laughs> and that's sort of how it, uh, that's sort of how it came up. And, um, I don't know. I think my perspective on doing the show is just doing it from the perspective of someone that's new, not necessarily a reporter. But, um, you know, I have a lot to learn. There is a lot of history that uh, goes with this that you don't find in any school textbooks. So um, I just kind of look at it like, okay, if you're interested and you uh, have some questions because you're new like me, well, come and listen because I'm asking the questions that I want to know that are, haven't been clear to me, you know, and so it might clear up something for someone else. But uh, so far, um, they say I'm averaging about 50,000 listeners, and um, I guess we've done four shows. My first guest was um, Miles O'Brien, formerly of CNN, and the reason I asked him to come on was because you remember the week, I believe it was Thanksgiving week in November, every morning he did a little series on uh, UFOs and the whole topic, and then like nine days later, they fired him. Mm-hmm. And so people were emailing me and calling me going, oh, my God, the same thing has happened to Miles O'Brien that happened to you. And I was going, what? I didn't even know about it. And so I started uh, getting in touch with him, and uh, and he didn't feel that that was the reason that he got hired, but he said in retrospect it probably didn't help him any. But he was asked to do that show. So um, anyway, uh, he he was my first guest, and I was real proud of that. And he's a really nice man. And um, if you haven't um, heard it, you can still download it on the UFO Paranormal Network. But um, and 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 see, there's another friend I've made from the you know, happening, and um, I keep in touch with him, and he's interested in doing a documentary on Stephenville. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's real impressed with the radar report, and that's the main reason um, that he's interested in doing a a documentary. But um, 
if you don't uh, know, he's on Facebook, and he he posts about every uh, shuttle launch, everything going on, you know, like minute to minute, who's getting in, you know, what they're doing. It's just pretty cool. So you might want to sign up for it to be his Facebook friend so you can get all those updates. So it's just uh, you had, a, you had another guest that night, night, did you not? Hmm. Did you not have another guest that night, Richard Dolan? Yeah, Richard Dolan was on that night too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was your and, what was your take on him? Well, I first met Richard also um, at the XCon whenever I met you, Jeremy, and mm-hmm. um, I was very impressed with uh, uh, his knowledge and extremely nice, Karen. And uh, it really seemed, he seemed to be one of those that had really done some homework and some research. Mm-hmm. And um, I was meeting so many people so fast there that I really couldn't keep up with everybody. It was just incredible. But I've seen him, you know, since at the Ozark Conference uh, this past April. He, was, he and his wife were there. But I barely got to see him. Everybody was real busy, so... Mm-hmm. Um, well, so did anything come up on your show that surprised you, or was it all stuff that you sort of expected and knew to hear from him? Yeah, I don't think I've been um, really surprised over anything. I question him about um, his uh, use of uh, mm, witnesses that um, don't go on the record with their name. Um mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, and I, I say this, and, you know, I did have one witness myself, Officer X, that I used that uh, didn't, uh, I didn't put his name out. So maybe I guess that we all do that to some extent. I'd like to see, in a way, I think if it's somebody that's not going to use their name, then don't tell the story because it just, I don't know, it's sort of exasperating to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, don't know, I don't know where I stand on that other than you then, yeah, have to sort of trust the credibility of the pers- t- person telling it to you. Yeah, yeah, it's like you have to trust, okay, Richard Dolan, is he credible? Well, yeah, I think so. But darn it, who are you talking to? <laughs> you know? Right. And, and then um, I'm always a little skeptical um, myself if somebody doesn't want me to use their name then I am afraid that person might be trying to lead me down a road that I would not go, would like to be on. So um, I'm real hesitant about that. Even when I'm writing just regular newspaper stories, hardly ever do I write a story where, you know, I don't name somebody. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I have done it myself with Officer X and, and the sighting on January the 8th, you know, he had, he and two other law enforcement officers actually saw a craft and not just light. So to me, that was a pretty big story. And, uh, have, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, have you, by coming forward and going on Larry King a couple of times, have you, uh, and sticking with this stuff, um, had any influence on other, uh, mainstream reporters? Has anyone ever contacted you and, Said anything to you about any of this, positive or negative? A mainstream reporter, um, you know, early on, 
Um, I remember this lady, but this was kind of a, I guess, a local person from Dallas. Um, she was on Channel 11, and uh, she was sitting across my desk at the newspaper, and she goes, how in the world did you have the guts to do this story? And um, I said, well, if you had talked to Steve Allen, you might have done it, too. She said, no, never. Well, she kind of dropped it at that. Um hmm. The producers with, uh, you know, Larry King Live were real interested, you know, in talking to the witness, what they see. Um, several, you know, TV news type personalities were here, and um, and I'm still in touch with um, most of them. And they don't ridicule me or anything for doing the story at all. Um, Jim Douglas uh, with Channel 8 here had, had told me... Um, well, this was right when it hit, I guess, after the Associated Press did their story. He came down and talked to me. He said, I don't really think you understand what you've done. I've been in this business, I don't know what he said, 28 years or something. I've never had a story go international, and your story has gone international in 48 hours or whatever it was. I can't remember. And I guess I really didn't have a good grasp of it because things were happening so fast that you – you know, you just turned around and somebody else was there asking you a question and you just kind of methodically went through it. And I didn't um, I didn't think that much of it. But, you know, there were some uh, reporters that asked me questions. But, you know, as far as people like 2020 or uh, Morning America, no, not those types. Hmm. Jeff? Hi. How are you? <laughs> uh, Angela, I'm curious. You know, any time a a big sighting happens to come up. Uh, usually what will happen in a, the general vicinity of that sighting is that you'll get a lot of false reports over days, weeks, months afterwards. Sure. Have you gotten mm-hmm. a lot of that with Stevensville? Has there been a lot of... Well, I'll tell you what happened in the fall of last year. Mm-hmm. Now, in October, the um F-16 started dropping flares, and I don't mean just a few. I mean like three nights in a row, maybe stop a night, drop flares again. If you've never seen flares, they're fairly spectacular. Mm -hmm. The only reason that I knew what they were is because I had been doing some research and I had been reading about Phoenix Lights and talking with um, Dr. Kikai, and um, so I had looked at some video of them. And one night in October, my husband came in from outside. Hey, get out here. you got to look at this. And so I went out there. Oh, yeah, it's flares. Okay. So sightings started coming in. And I was like, okay, people are seeing the flares. But honest people make honest mistakes. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't seen the flares... You and, and you were in this area, you might think, well, that's a UFO. So it became a matter of um, talking to the witnesses and getting a description, and then you could determine, okay, was what they were seeing flares or was it something else? So on November the 18th, I talked to some witnesses, and there were flares on that night. Um, we sent FOIAs. And we have dates of when the flares were dropped. But I have three people, uh, two in the same location, one in a different location that actually saw another craft. Hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this um, one 
man. His name is Michael Corn. He was, I believe, 27 years old and had just come home from Iraq and um, very familiar with what's supposed to be in the sky and what isn't. And, you know, he said, I don't think what I saw was ours. He said, I don't think there's any way. His girlfriend described it as so lit up, she said it reminded her of a carousel laying on its side. Hmm. So I wrote that story. Some of my stories like that have uh, printed in the Abilene Reporter News. Um, so you do have people that um, see these flares, and, you know, it's a little confusing. And we have had, um, you know, it's come across a police scanner, people pulling off uh, to the side of the road, pulling over, trying to watch them and see what was going on. Right. And they've had to go out there and tell them, you know, you're going to, you're causing a traffic hazard. You got to go on. And um, it's very strange, though, that we've never seen flares here, and then all of a sudden we start seeing them all the time. Right, like the distraction, kind of the distraction tactic that most people more or less associate with the Phoenix Lights thing. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, that same kind of kind of, of uh, look X over here, you know. Me. Yeah, Officer X called me and said, Angela, get outside. Have you seen this? What is going on? Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I was born here, and I have never seen flares dropped here. This is, there's something more to this. Right. And I, I really sort of agreed because um, it, it was just so strange. Hmm. Why do they start dropping them now? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially when people are looking up here more. And it can become a traffic hazard. And the other thing is, I did um, try to call Major Carl Lewis again, but he wouldn't return my call, because we were also in a very dry uh, period, a, a drought, mm -hmm. and we had burn bans on. And I thought, what if uh, I talked to a uh, retired Air Force person, a pilot, and he said some of those, burn, some of those uh, flares they call fizzlers. And he said that means something about it doesn't work properly, and it might not ignite until it's in the top of a tree or right. on the ground. Mm -hmm. Well, in that case, you know, that would be very bad here. We had, two years ago, we had horrible fires here where people were um, cutting the fences to try to save their cattle, their livestock, and some homes were burned, and Mm. You know, I thought, how do they get away with dropping these in a burn van? But I ne he wouldn't call me back, so I never got to talk to him. Has there been, um, you know, one of the things we kind of focus on on this show is the the real weird aspect of this stuff that usually most people don't want to talk about. Um, during the main Stevensville sighting and even some of the little, you know, peripheral sightings that have happened since then, has there been a um, any murmurings underneath the breath of people reporting things to you that are just beyond bizarre? In other words, more or less sort of, uh, I don't know what you might deem paranormal activity as opposed to strictly the UFO thing, um, kind of a higher aspect ratio of, um, I don't know, hearing about... Uh, uh, figures moving around someone's house or that kind of very strange stuff. Have you had any of that pop up here and there at all? No, I haven't really. I've, uh, 
I've not even had anybody um, come up to me and say they were abducted at mm-hmm. that time or anything like that. And someone had told me that I probably would start getting reports like that about July, but I really never did. Um, the only really strange thing that I know of is um, there is a neighbor of Ricky Sorrell's. And Ricky is the one, if you remember, that he saw the thing in the daytime right over his head, like 300 feet. He could see the cone-shaped indentions and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, it was quite a period of time, and I, I really can't even tell you what the date was now. But um, Ricky brought me a Polaroid picture. He said, look at this. I, okay. And um, I don't know if you guys are familiar but we have these big, round hay bales here. Mm-hmm. They're uh, probably 1,500 pounds or something. Yeah, it looks like chili rolls. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, one of his neighbors had um, had his hay baled, and, you know, these things stand up on their side, I guess you would call it. Well, all of these hay bales had been knocked over flat, hmm. and he had three dead cows. Hmm. And it was an older gentleman, and um, he didn't tell Ricky about it um, for a couple of days, I guess. And he had already chained onto the cows and drug them to his uh, pit with a tractor, so he didn't get a chance to to look at them or anything. Mm -hmm. But I always thought that was sort of strange because it was like 70 of those things. And, you know, it probably take, you know, eight or ten pretty hunky uh high school football players to turn one over yeah i can't imagine turning 70 over hmm. i mean would you want to do that much work for a hoe i don't know <laughs> well i wouldn't um <laughs> I, i'm curious um you know you've probably looked into this more than anyone and uh, you know judging by the fact that you haven't got those um visitation reports and you haven't gotten uh, you know, little beings on the ground reports and stuff like that. Are you kind of more inclined to think that this was something that we have? Well, early on, I really did think it was something military. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, well, I bet they're just testing something or mm-hmm. whatever. But as I, Larry King asked me on that July show, well, Angela, what do you think it was? So, well, I don't know, but if it is military, why do they keep bringing it back here where people are aware? I mean, it's kind of the horses out of the barn now, so why don't you move it? Mm-hmm. So that doesn't make sense to me, that if it is military and something that got this much publicity, it seems to me you would you would take it someplace else. Well, well what's it been like lately in Stevensville? Has there been... Like anything, like fairly recent, like within the past couple of months? Two weeks ago on a Thursday night, um, I don't know, you guys might be familiar with um, Jack Harris, who has the Captain Jack radio show, Hmm. um, paranormal radio show. No, sorry, no, I don't. Okay. Well, he is in Brownwood, which is about 60 miles south of us. And I had done a couple of shows with him, and um, he called, and uh, they had uh, video cameras set up outside the studio. Mm. 
Well, some caller, some listener, I mean, called them and said, hey, what is that light that's not moving on the video cam? And when the show was over at 11 o'clock, they went out, and here's this huge triangle thing over their studio. Mm-hmm. So he and his producer jump in the car, start um, um, trying to follow it, trying to get good pictures. And um, they had a still camera and had a video camera. And uh, none of the pictures turned out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, Jack, now you know why people are, you know, how difficult it is to get a good picture and you know and that's one of the things that people really criticize for well if there is a something in the air why don't why can't you get a picture of it well it's not that easy we don't all walk walk around with uh fox news type cameras on our shoulders mm-hmm. and that's really it takes something good like that to get something yeah, yeah. and a cell phone is not going to do it and most digital cameras aren't going to do it so um, anyway, the next day, they went out and put flyers out uh, asking for people to call either them or to email me on my website, but I haven't gotten any reports of anybody else seeing anything at that time, um, and the last I heard from him, he he hadn't gotten anything either, but it's probably been about a week since I talked to him, but he was really thinking it was large enough that surely other people had to have seen it. And he said there were other people on the road. So, hmm. um, you, you know, that's the last thing I know of. That's curious. Um, well, to switch gears a little bit, this is a question that Jeremy and I talked about asking you uh, when we were on the phone with each other the other night. <laughs> and, yes. Uh, and, and you can feel free to say no comment because you're a reporter after all. Um, uh since you've been in this and since you've probably met so many people in such a short amount of time, who more or less strikes you as a really not credible person or someone that's not doing ufology any favors at all by um, speaking out about this? I mean, I think when you mentioned Michael Sala writing uh, the newspaper and all that, I'm sure, like, I almost look at the exopolitical crowd sometimes in the way of, um, I I I feel like in some small way they mean well, but but in most ways they usually are putting their mouths where it's either not needed or not wanted. Uh, well, if you, know. you listen to my interview with uh, Steve Bassett, mm-hmm. you know I really uh, questioned him pretty hard about Alfred Weber's uh, article that had come out, I think it had just come out that same week I interviewed him, or maybe maybe it was a week before, I don't know, mm-hmm. but it was the one that had the headline that says, one billion people abducted something, something. Right. You remember that one? Sure. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, okay, how do you get your facts? I mean, what? How do you get those facts like that? I don't know. But to me, those type of sensational headlines, and I think they are sensational. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that does the ufology community any favors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would really like to see Obama release the the 60-year-old files and documents and things that they have so that we might get another witness like Milton Torres. But, you know, when... It, it, I think articles like that just make the 
the thing more difficult to, to get to get it done. Right. Um, I you know I have never met Alfred or Michael Sala. I've never met them. I don't I don't know them personally, and I'm sure that they have good intentions. But I sometimes um, I think things are too sensationalized. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I know you know you're doing that so you can get somebody to click on it and read the you know the headline is what's going to draw in the reader, right? R- sure. Sure. Because if you're looking at the newspaper, you know, the headline is, that's how you determine if you're going to go ahead and read the article, right? Right, sure. So sure. that's what, the, I think that's what their goal is, is to get uh, eyes on the article, but I'm just not sure that's the best way to do it. Well, I, mean, I, mean, I, think, well, I, I think Stephen Bassett has said he doesn't really care what kind of attention that he gets, as long as he's got eyes on that's really all that seems to matter. Um, that's right. I which, think that which, is how he feels. Which is know? a kind and, of a damn the torpedoes of credibility type stance to have when you're trying to deal with something as volatile as this is uh, and as, as fickle as the American public can be with just about anything, uh, especially a fringe topic like this where you're talking about credibility meaning everything. Um, right. You know, I mean, I, I just, I, I'm sorry, I don't see this guy doing anybody any favors, uh, you know, except maybe his own agenda of some sort that he has. Um, uh, who, who else? I mean, who else would you think of right off the top of your head that you've interacted with that you just don't, um, you, you just don't see anything to, or, or you walk away from saying uh, kind of that roll your eyes and shoo, couldn't get out of that conversation fast enough. I mean. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> besides this one, but yeah. Besides this one, uh, what other ones? <laughs> well, really, I can't say there's been anybody like that because the, you know, the exopolitics crowd. Even uh, even Steve said, you know, that Alfred is on the fringes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <laughs> although you know they, I guess they work together and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But he gave him an award. Mm-hmm. Didn't you give him like a lifetime achievement award? I, mean, I, come I, on. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Was that right? Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hey, Alfred Weber coined that. the okay. term exopolitics. I don't understand how he's fringe. He coined the term well, exopolitics. I, well, that's what he said on the show. I'm pretty sure he said it was a fringe that's thing. Hysterical. But, well, I guess Steve is of the opinion maybe that pu- any publicity is better than no publicity. Right. Um, he seems good at at generating that publicity, doesn't he? Well, I also don't think we we can use uh, Stephen Bassett's awards as any kind of benchmark, uh, you know, due to the fact that Stephen Bassett a couple of ex conferences ago stood up in front of everyone and said that the phenomena is without question definitely confirmed extraterrestrial. I mean, how the hell do you know that? <laughs> Give me a break. So, is Stephen Bassett the benchmark for goddamn ufology? No. Uh, well, see, and that was one thing that I was sort of disappointed in because when he was um, at that press conference, you know, he made it sound, even though he said it wasn't a threat, you don't threaten the government, but he really did make it sound as if this third wave that was going to be, what, June the 1st was going to be a release of information that was going to make the government look like they had an egg on their face. And then it turned out, you know, that it is um, – uh, they're going to, you know, have people bombard the National Press Corps 
with uh, why aren't you asking the president these top questions, blah, blah, blah. Right. So, right. you know, and and he even said, well, I might have blown that out of proportion or something like that. Remember that yeah. on that show, you know, but, um, you know, that's just how he works, I guess. Yeah. And um, because I found that a little puzzling, but I do think that every time uh, somebody's out there and, and they say, oh, this is the year for disclosure, this is the year it's going to happen, and, you know, whether it's Steve Bassett or whoever it is, uh, and it, that year it doesn't happen, then the next year you're going to have trouble getting people to listen to you, and the next year you're going to have even more trouble, and pretty soon the press is going to just start ignoring you. Absolutely, yeah. Well, he's, you know? he's, so he's sort of become ufology's wrecking ball, Um you know, just just by those kind of things alone, you know, you, you you're going to have egg on your face, you know, Mister Government, if you don't release this and that and the other, and 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 the guy's ankle deep in egg. Uh, so I don't, <laughs> I, I I I don't see um, where his ultimatum really played out at all. Um, well, where it worked for him was he had CNN there, yeah. covering the press conference, you know. So that's where it works for him. But how long can he get away with that? I don't know. Every year you say this is the year for a disclosure, mm-hmm. and this is going to happen, and, um, you know, it, it's, you're, you're losing ground every year that it doesn't happen then. Absolutely. And um, so I, I know that Steve has a, a good heart that he is actually – I know he works tirelessly on this. Mm-hmm. You know, I get the press releases just like y'all do. That he may – you know, he may send them out 3 o'clock in the morning or something. Mm-hmm. So he's, uh, he's working hard, and um, he is probably generating more publicity for the subject than anyone else. Now, do I feel like any publicity is better than no publicity? Personally, no, I don't. Um, You know, I don't want to be in the news because I've lost my credibility. (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, you you do have to wonder why CNN covers that conference. I really, I really, the past couple years have started to wonder just exactly why do they show up at these things. Um, and I don't know if it's some kind of promise of some unbelievable footage or is it because that Edgar Mitchell well, is there? I mean, is that, I think this is the first time they covered the press conference, isn't it? Well, I think, uh, I, I think the year before, I think that they were on, it was some kind of, uh, media coverage, well, see, big media coverage I of that. I spoke at the press conference and I, I don't remember CNN being there. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I mean, you may be right. At the National Press Club. Yeah. Now, they might have been in the hotel at some stuff. I don't know. There were so many people there, I can't remember. But I'm pretty sure they were not at the National Press Club. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is the first year for that. And okay. definitely the draw was Edgar Mitchell, right. of course. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that is why CNN covered it. I mean, I have no doubt. And also, um, the reason they did is because, you know, he had made headlines, national headlines. Um, wasn't it last July? Yeah, Kerrang Radio. He was, yeah. yeah. And 
and everybody just went nuts, even though he'd been saying the same thing. He even said, I've been saying this for 10 years. I don't know why it took off like this. Exactly. Remember? Yeah, absolutely. So he had those headlines. And so I'm sure CNN followed that. And then when they heard he was going to be at the uh, press conference, you know, that, uh, yeah, they decided they would cover it. Hmm. And, um, and I'm sure it's because of Edgar Mitchell. I, I don't, I don't have any doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's kind of unfortunate that, that, uh, you know, that the, these things, they get a lot of attention, but I don't think that they seem to really say or do very much. Um, I mean, even when you're, you know, you're talking about putting somebody as, uh, um, as as elite as an astronaut on on the table for everyone to see that and it makes a splash in the news for i mean that day i think it was a matter of hours and that was it it was done well see and that was also the first time i believe now i I might be wrong but i think that was the first time that Edgar Mitchell ever called on Obama for disclosure, or ever called on government for disclosure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's talked about it, you know, and says this needs to be done. But here he is at the National Press Club, you know, asking, you know, that these files and and everything be disclosed. And I think well, that was the first time he had done that. Let me ask you: Do you think that? Disclosure needs to happen. I don't understand what the press, the pressure is to disclose. Uh, disclose what? What is it that, that we're all expecting to be disclosed? Well, what I want to see is those documents that are classified. I want to see them declassified so that, you know, we might get more witnesses like Milton Torres, you know, that didn't talk until the UK mm-hmm. released their files. So, okay. And so I have to ask myself, er, are these 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old files, would they have any bearing now on national security? Well, surely not, but, you know, I could be wrong. But why not release them? Why hold those documents back? Now, do I expect the president to suddenly come on television, you know, and um, tell us all that there is an ET presence living among us and they've been here for many years? And no, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I do for disclosure for me is seeing those files released, and I don't see any reason they shouldn't. Well, if be that were released. the case, if if there were, if that if that if the president could come on and say that, would you want him to? If it's the truth, I would. Yeah, if even if, if that the president everything. knows, <laughs> yeah, if the president knows that there is an ET presence here, then I think we have a right to know that. Um, I don't. Uh, you have a right to know it, but I mean, what, what what would be the options? I mean, you've got like two options for that. Really, you've got there's an ET presence here, and uh, and we know about it, and they're now going to come down and shake hands with us, and that changes society. And we know that from you know our own past experiences that the way it changes society is that it destroys it, and that we uh, sort of become irrelevant in the face of the more advanced society. Or they say. Um, yeah, there are these aliens here or something, and we don't know what they are. We don't know if we can fight them or should or what. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, either scenario isn't, you know, I, I, I think like, I don't know. For me personally, I, I feel like there, there is, of course, a part of me that's like, yes, that 
we we're mature enough to handle it. But then I think the reality is that uh, that we're not. That we'll either build up an arms race against this enemy, or you know, this thing that we see as an enemy, um, or um, or if it were some sort of like open handshake deal, uh, we would just yeah. be consumed by it. Well, you know, if it if it were to happen, certainly it would change the world, and I think that it would change in the way that Ronald Reagan, you know, spoke of. If we were, um, if we were to be up against an, an alien president uh, presence, we would, you know, unite as one world, not, and we wouldn't have these countries that are fighting against each other. So. Um, Definitely, I think it would change, and in some cases, yeah, it, it wouldn't be good. I mean, we've already seen our economy collapse, and 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 it didn't take aliens to do that. So, but why you know, is it a good thing? Like, like that, that that worries me. If if the best response that we can have to to our to think that we're mature enough to handle aliens is that the entire world would stop fighting each other long enough to fight something else. That to me is maturity. Yeah, well, one world united against. You know, uh, it's never one just one world united. It's always, well, gee, yeah. I wonder if there were an alien threat if we would unite against it. You know, it's like, well, well why can't if we, we just did, unite? Period? I think that's what would happen if we did not have definite information to to tell us otherwise that we weren't in any danger or something. You know that, uh, uh, you know, if if it was already proven that uh, the ET presence was benevolent and um, not out to get us, then probably that, you know, then it would probably be everybody or how we get them on our side. How do we get that technology for ourselves? And, you know, right. you still have that division. Angela, let me ask you this. Um, uh, and this is, this is not a trick question at all. What would you say that over the past, 60 plus years mm -hmm. that the government has withheld information regarding UFOs? Well, I think we can definitely say that they've withheld information. Okay. Or we wouldn't have classified documents that we can't look at. Okay. Would you say that they have aggressively defended a lie that they've put forth as far as explaining things away? aggressively defended a lie. Yes. Um, In other words, saying there is nothing to UFOs, what UFOs we have investigated, uh, only a very small portion of them are unexplainable, and it's probably because you know, you know, some sort of misperception uh, or just in the case of uh, let's let's look at Phoenix. You know, we it, it was flares, right. and uh, well, you know. I don't know, but you know, in some ways, I think so because um, if that weren't the case, you still wouldn't have all those files locked up. Right. You know. So, so um, knowing all that, uh, knowing that you know it, the stance is, and, and this is not really honest to God. This is not my stance. Um, Having a stance of saying that uh, they they are withholding information and they've essentially told falsehoods about that information, whether giving misinformation out or muddying the waters or threatening people or whatever, uh, this would be the same government that would be coming on saying, hey, guess what? We've got visitors. And 
you know, we don't know who they are, what they want. And in a lot of ways, they're better than we are. And, oh, yeah, they can make us do things we don't want to do. So in that kind of scenario that they would come out and disclose things, would you believe them after 60-plus years? If, if they came out and disclosed and said they're here, uh-huh. yeah, I think I would believe them. Would you? No. <laughs> you wouldn't? No. Because after this long, you know, after these, this many years of, of – uh, um, uh, I mean, first of all, I have to say, I don't think that they well, know – Well, they would have to if – they, if they did come out and say that, then I would think they would present, you know, some sort of knowledge to go along with that to show people this is how we know it's here, you know. Well, I think by the same token that if you look back over how many years that, that – uh, uh, you know, let's go back to the old mainstay of Roswell, which is kind of a dirty word around Paratopia. But, um, you know, there's there's the, the proponents of that case say it's been covered up. It's been lied about. It's uh, been covered in so much uh, silt and debris that we'll never really right, understand. Even says that. Right. It's 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 so buried that we'll never get to it. And even to this day. Uh, there is probably some sort of documentation somewhere that states exactly what happened at Roswell. Tomorrow, mm-hmm. if they came out and said, hey, guess what? Roswell was a craft. We don't know where it came from. These beings aren't here, but there was a craft. It was not human, um, and that's all we know. I wouldn't believe it for an iota. Uh, because we're talking about the same entity that has allegedly lied and covered up and thrown disinformation, um, you know, uh, allegedly well, then, threatened but if people. You have that, if you have that outlook, then you can't believe anything they ever say. And so you, why even ask the questions? Why even listen to the, the, the president on television or senators or congressmen? Because um, if you have that outlook, if you believe they're lying when they're not, and you believe they're lying when they're lying, then... You'll, you'll never get anywhere. Well, I mean, when it comes to, at least with this subject, you know, this is a question I always have to ask people when they talk about disclosure. It's like, uh, I would I would be gravely concerned about who's going to disclose what. I, I mean, my personal stance on it is that they don't really know a whole lot more than we do, and they probably have better data, but aside from that, I don't think they know anything. And I think that's part of the reason for... Uh, the perceived cover-up of this whole thing is that, uh, Well, now, you, you know, may be right, is they really don't have that much information. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they're like us. They have more questions than they, than they have answers. But right. I sure would like to be the one that sat down and went through those boxes of files and read what was in there. Oh, That's it'd be what in- I <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting for sure. Yeah, but... Yeah. Um, and, and why not release them? If you're not hiding anything, well, right. what is the harm? Right. On these old documents, okay. maybe something that's twenty years old is too new. Maybe even thirty years old, it could still have some, you know, uh, repercussion for for releasing it in some way that would damage. Oh, well, there's our always country. some. Yeah, there's always some kind of lineage going back to some other story that could be connected and construed. So that's that's. But always you know, a give problem. us the fifties and sixties at least. You know. Right. Well. I mean that uh, – I don't know. I mean like I say, my whole thing with this is is how much would you believe of what was told to you um, depending on what was told to you. Um, 
by, you know, whomever. I, I, and I mean, I don't know. I almost think sometimes that there's the, there's, there's some kind of truth to the whole, uh, shadow government or, um, some kind of other controlling body out there that is, that is withholding this stuff. And that really has little to do with the people in real power. Um, so, I, I mean, again, when you talk about all of the, the, the stuff that's been thrown on top of ufology for 60-plus years, I just don't know that I'd be that willing to accept an answer that was given to me by the very people who were covering it up for so long, if that makes any right. sense. It's kind of like the, the, the boy crying wolf, but, you know. And, and So you, you think that the, the only way you would believe it is if an E.T. walked up to you and said, I'm here, and, you know, you would believe that, but you wouldn't believe the government. Well, I mean, I I kind of take um, I kind of take a McKenna stance on that when I say, you know, I don't believe anything really past my own direct experience with a lot of things. Um, yeah. You know, I, I mean, yeah, and uh, and for me, that's uh, I mean, for me, that scenario you just flipped out there. That's happened to me. So I, you know, yeah, I I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't. Um, I don't have any doubt as to that there's something there, but I'm not even willing to go as far as to say it's extraterrestrial or it's – I don't know what the hell it is. It um, might be something spiritual or – Oh, it could be. I mean, you know, that – it could be any damn thing. I, I don't know. Well, you know, I've been watching lately these um, these elderly ladies, the Holt sisters. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, I've been watching that video – and I've replayed it, and, and, you know, their father was a minister, and then their um, his cousin was Secretary of State, you know, um, what was his name? Huh. God, I brought this up, let's see, uh, Hall, Cordell Hall. Okay. And, you know, took him under, in the sub-basement of the Capitol, and showed him these... Um, containers, I guess for lack of a better word, a jar, a big jar, with uh, these beings in them. Uh-huh. And these, I, I keep thinking about how these sisters would say their father called them creatures. Uh-huh. You know, he didn't call them ETs. He didn't call them aliens, but he called them creatures. That's probably, you know, just a word of that time, you know, for the Roosevelt administration or something. Okay. But I look at those two elderly ladies and I think, why in the world would they have any reason to, you know, come out and just tell this big lie about their father who was a minister and from all that I've read was supposed to be very um, um, honest and truthful, well-liked man, um, an intelligent man. Right. And so when I look at some of those stories like that, and I don't know, these old ladies just really kind of, well, I, I don't know, they just I mean, did I, something to me. I was like, well, I think they're telling the truth. Well, well I think I think you, you may, might be right. They maybe are telling the truth. The big ultimate question there is what was their father shown? What were they uh, mm-hmm. that he was shown? Uh, I mean, it, it, if we're taking for fact that he was taken somewhere and shown – some sort of bodies in tubes, uh, in some sort of formaldehyde or whatever. What exactly was that? That doesn't necessarily mean to me that that was some sort of uh, non-human being. Um, you know, I, I think that whatever 
um, kind of comes out of this from a... Well, you know, uh, you the know. description that he gave them, you know, they were four feet, four feet tall. I mean, uh-huh. um, um, with a head that seemed larger than normal. Mm-hmm. And he also told them there was a wrecked craft uh, there in the sub-basement of the Capitol building. Mm-hmm. And um, it was some sort of craft that flew without wings. It didn't have wings. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It's it's so hard to figure out oh, because yeah. then you also come up with you know I'll find a story. Um, I think it was uh, oh gosh I can't remember his name Philip. Uh, I don't know, but he told this story. You know, on the, I watched it on YouTube. He was a re- researcher and he he worked at Grooms Lake and and he went down in an elevator at one of their sites and. There was a shootout, you know, with aliens and all. Right. Oh, he yeah. He holds up okay. his hand. Remember that? Sure. He holds up his hand, and he's only he's got like three fingers gone. Right. What is his name? Uh, Schneider? Phil Schneider. Phil Schneider. Phil Schneider, yeah. yeah. And so I was really intrigued by that. And then, you know, and then I'm coming along, and I'm talking to somebody about it. Well, you know, that story's already been uh, uh, debunked because at the time he said that he was there, and when he would have had to gotten his degree, well, then he would have had to have been 12 when he graduated and all this stuff. And I thought, oh, God, you, it's so hard to, to get through all that crap, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, government doesn't need to interfere in, in anything with this information because ufology does it all by itself. I yeah. know. That is the truth. Yeah. And, um, and because I just was really intrigued with that. I was watching all of them. And thank God somebody told me, you know, oh, we've already, we already know about that, and the numbers didn't add up. I was like, oh, God. Well, how do you know what you're supposed to believe and what you know? Right. I thought yeah. it was a really good story, and it was a really good story, but that's all it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's plenty of, of interesting stories, but unfortunately there's little to back any of them up, including mine. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, uh, yeah, it, it is hard, and, and I, I guess, you know, being – you know, relatively new into this, you're finding a lot of stuff that, you know, seems to be really exciting stuff. And then further down the line, you find out, you know, it's nonsense or, 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 you know, it's a hoax uh, of some sort. Uh, Exactly. You know, one way or another. You know, early on, I was just reading everything that I could find on the internet. And then I soon found, okay, this is not the way to go about this. Because what I need to do is I need to talk to people that already know the stories and they can say, Yes, this one is a good one. This one's not, and that way I wouldn't be wasting so much of my time because there was so much stuff on there that um, the people, you know, really seemed um, like they had some validity. How, how and, do you how uh, do you find the majority of people that you interact with that aren't researchers that are just people? that you speak to at conferences or what have you, just general public, do you feel often, more often than not, really, that they seem to have a, a deep-seated need to believe uh, in general in this stuff? Or do you think that they're – do you think people are becoming a little bit more critical of what they see and hear out of this stuff? Well, I don't think – well, in my experience at the conferences, the people that come to the conferences that pay money – to come and in, in, in hear speakers and interact with speakers or just friends, 
meet other people, they're, they are at the conference because they already believe. Right. You know, most of them know more than I do. You know, they're, um, well, probably all of them did because they, you know, they have a, some sort of history behind them. They either had a sighting at some time in their lives or they had a family member that had a sighting or something. There's something that drew them there in the first place. But most of those people at the conferences do believe, you know, they already are pretty sure that there's somebody um, visiting. Usually what happens to me is as soon as I stop speaking, people line up to talk to me. And usually it's not to ask me a question, but it's to share with me whatever their experience was. Right. Uh, Whether they want to tell me what they saw or they want to tell me, you know, when they were abducted or whatever. It, it's usually nothing to do with Stephenville as to why they line up there. Huh. Huh. Jer? <laughs> well, Angela. <laughs> um, that's interesting. I mean, that's almost, that's almost speakers at a conference as therapists or something, you know. Uh-huh. Um, well, have you ever noticed on Coast to Coast... Um, when they use that call-in number, and I remember one time I was on there with George Knapp, and he even went on to say, okay, the call-in number is for questions for myself or Angela Joyner or Alejandra Rojas or whoever was on with me. And um, this is not the time to share your experience. And then I'll be dang the first person that called said, I want to tell you about in 1964, I saw blah, blah, blah. Well, that is quite common. And that's something that I noticed at the, um, uh, oh, what do you, I got to think. When we were having the meetings in Dublin for the witnesses, uh, in January, MUFON had these meetings, right? And all, we were swamped with people. There was like 500 people there. We couldn't believe it. Mm. And so they started turning around and walking out when the TV cameras went. I'm like, oh, we're going to have to do this again. We had another one. The same, some, a lot of the same people came back the second time. And the reason they did was so they could, they wanted to talk about it. They, they were looking for someone else that had seen something so they could converse about it without you know, fear of ridicule or whatever. Sure. But anybody had an experience, they're dying to tell you about it. The same thing happened to me on uh, Dr. Laurie Nadell's show. She had a call in, supposed to ask questions, but, you know, he told us his experience, what had happened to him. So, um, you know, there is a, a great deal of interest, but, uh, and, and people are more than willing to, if, if they can find that comfort zone, that, uh, where they feel that they can talk about it, you know, safely, then they 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 want to talk about it. Yeah, there's a great deal of interest in them telling you their own story. Does <laughs> 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 I mean, it get more narcissistic than that? <laughs> well, you remember you told me your story at the XCon when I first met you. Yeah, well, Jeremy Vaney, come on. Well, sure, yeah, but that was just because I couldn't believe you hadn't heard of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, sure. No, I'm sure he I, was charming. I think I, <laughs> if, if I recall, I because uh, I, I, I just think that this is true of, of me in general, and even if I don't remember it this way, uh, I must have uh, only told you that because you would ask. <laughs> 
Like, I don't think I would have well, just, like, come up to you and offered my story and been like, I'm an alien abductee, Angela, how are you? We were out on the... We were out on the patio and just talking about it in general, and I probably did ask you a question because that's sort of the reporter in me is I do question a lot. So that is probably why, but um, <laughs> that's funny. But it was a good story, Jeremy. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, well, I've had years to practice it. So anyway, uh, <laughs> was that out loud? Oh, um, I, I feel like we've uh, we should probably wrap this up because we've been on – a lot longer than than the allotted hour, and now we're keeping you uh, past your bedtime. Yes, and you probably oh, want to okay. get back to your to your husband. I stay up late. I'm a night owl. Well, thanks, Angela, for coming on and, and talking with us tonight. I really appreciate. Well, that. sure, I have really enjoyed it, and just any time. Well, tell all your friends. I will. <laughs> <laughs> tell all your for what? <laughs> I yeah, you tell all your friends, Angela. Everybody. <laughs> Your, your little clip with me telling you that you weren't going to make it on uh, Saturday Night Live. Oh, like come that. on. You know that's not true. Now stop. <laughs> I sent it to everybody I knew. <laughs> oh. And they all got a big hee-haw out of it. So. <laughs> uh, hey, tell us uh, how people can listen to your show or your website or any of that fun stuff. Okay, my website is dot. A N G E L I A Joiner J O I N E R dot com, and um, you can listen to me on the Joiner Report on Friday nights at nine o'clock Central Standard Time on the UFO Paranormal Radio Network. We're calling Jeremy Vaney. Oh, uh, hello, Jeremy Vaney, Paratopia Live. How did you feel the show went, Jeremy? Live and nude. Yes. Um, I thought that you saved it. I think my questions were pretty erratic and all over the place. <laughs> from the I, I mean, honestly, God, and, and so uh, so there's that. But, no, I, I like uh, Angela Joyner. Uh, yeah, me too. I, I think she is the sexiest woman in, in ufology currently. If for no other reason than the glasses and the, the, the beehive hairdo thing, you know, it's like, it's like the porn library. Like, I, I just... I'm a sucker for that. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, yeah, okay. Go ahead. I don't know if that's appropriate or not. She's a married woman. And, and I respect that. And, and, <laughs> Frankly, I love her husband, too. And, and, but not for the same reason. And it, it looks uh, pretty much like, uh, let's see, how do they put it in Texas? He'd stomp a mud hole in your back. Oh, yeah. No, uh, let, let's make no bones about this. I'm not really hitting on the woman. He would kill me. <laughs> he would destroy me. <laughs> um. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, kind of nice to chat with somebody who's got a perspective of being relatively new to all of this and not really knowing all of the backstory and, uh, and, and the, uh, uh preconceived notions about people in it, which is kind of yeah. an interesting perspective to get here and there. Um, I just wanted to, uh, and dare I use this word, I want to qualify my earlier statement about, um, <laughs> The 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 disclosure type of thing. Uh, I d- I don't mean to say that uh, you know you shouldn't believe anything the government says because they're all that. I, I don't take the Dale Gribble approach to uh, government. Um, w- what I was kind of getting at in that little scenario was that you know you're, you're talking about uh, whatever is 
withholding UFO data, if there is any to be withheld. Um, you know, I, I have a problem when people cry for disclosure and they're asking for that disclosure from the very entity that they allege has lied about it and aggressively defended that lie for 60 some odd years. That's where I have the problem with that is, is how do you say, okay, well now I believe you, uh, because you're telling me what I want to hear. Um, and this has kind of been like a mainstay through, you know, for the past five years or six years for me, it's like, you know, um, uh, and I, I mentioned this to my, uh, my, my research partner one time, he's like, you know, what if it's something really bad, <laughs> you know? And, and, and he ultimately said, well, it would be bad because it would be, um, uh, uh, you know, the panic is a very real part of disclosure. Whether or not we say we're ready, we don't know what that means because we don't know what we're ready for. Uh, but at the same time, uh, if they're more advanced than us and they're hanging around, then the ultimate uh, process after that is acculturation, which means we get absorbed into their culture or we fail as a culture ourselves. Right. We have to adapt to whatever they are. So I think that um, yeah, you know uh, it, it, that that's that's ultimately where it becomes the problem for me. Um, but, yeah, I like how uh, how how we just it, we're such a backwards bunch of apes running around here that that we honestly think that Ronald Reagan's speech was like an enlightened principle of gee, if the world could just have something else to argue and fight over, we'd stop fighting and arguing over each other. <laughs> and essentially with the speeches. If yeah. we had something else to kill, we right. could aim all of our guns at it together and come together as a world right. and kill it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is absurd. Really? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, well, of course, because, you know, not – I mean, I don't get me wrong. If if uh, the saucers appeared in mass tomorrow, um, you know, I, I'd be grabbing two of my Arasaka rifles and standing in the front lawn because I don't know what they are. I don't know what they're going to do. But if they showed no hostility whatsoever, then it's time to put the weapons down. You know, it's okay to be cautious. I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with protecting yourself. Uh, and maybe that's what he was getting at with that speech. Is you know, if we had to unite against some threat from outer space, okay. You know, if it's a threat, we don't even know what that means. Um, if the only thing that can unite the world is a threat from outside, then we are not ready. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we can't keep, uh, you know, Britney Spears and Paris Hilton out of the headlines, so I don't think we're ready for shit, to be honest with you. <laughs> that's true. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's that, that was kind of my my explanation of my stance on that. I, you, you, most listeners know by now, I don't think that the government knows much more than we do. And I certainly don't, uh, I, I certainly don't think that there's going to be any massive disclosure or a top down revelation of some sort. Or I just, that's just not going to happen. And it's not going to happen for probably a variety of reasons. But the most important one I can think of is, you know, it, it would essentially be the end of government. <laughs> So uh, at what point is government going to say, yep, we're done. You know, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. They're here. We can't do anything. The end. Because right. um, at that point, it's just mass pandemonium. For me, it's a lot deeper. Everybody knows that. That's kind of been my stance for a long time. I just wanted to explain that. You know, I wasn't trying to trick Angela into some kind of, you know, corner with that. It was just 
that's kind of how I view the whole exopolitical thing. It's like they're building this 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 major diplomacy act on what exactly? <laughs> well, you know, what please. I mean that that whole thing is a joke. I mean if Stephen Bass is going to say that um that uh Alfred Weber is the fringe when he's in fact the man who coined the term exopolitics <laughs> and he's the man who's winning the lifetime achievement awards, you know, it's like, well, and guess what, Steve-O? The whole thing is a, a charade. Right, right. So. Which we already know anyway. And, to, and it's just gratifying in some way to hear trash about Michael Sala because yeah. he is such a trashy guy. <laughs> well, well, I mean, and what what really gets me is is, is about the whole uh, exopolitical thing is, is, like, the ex-conference. I think you said before, why isn't there any experiencers up there talking about this stuff? Why, why is that not a part of the equation for them? Um, and, and I've, you know, I've said for at least a decade or more that this, this closure thing that everybody's clamoring for is already going on, um, you know, and it is gradual, or at least it seems to be, uh, because this whole thing is not, um, I, I mean, in every way that it, you know, the phenomenon itself, it, it uh, d- defies the laws of physics. It defies the laws of what we deem to be reality. Uh, it- it's doing the exact same thing when it comes to to contact of some sort. It- it's it's evading the official channels. It's going right to the individual, and uh, and disclosure is happening right there. Um, I mean, I don't well, think. Here's you the know, problem, though. Be, you know, we say that as though. They're going to invite you or I up on stage. No, if they did have experiencers on there, it would be like Stan Romanek and, and Jim uh, Sparks. <laughs> you know, and then we'd be bitching about it, that. It would have to be, uh, <laughs> yeah, it would have to be newsworthy um, uh, experiencers, I guess. But I, I don't really give a crap who it is, as long as it's somebody, um, you know, with an ounce of credibility. I'm, I'm good with that. I don't, I don't, I don't think I'd want it to be me, but. Um, because I'm oh I'm whacked out as far as you know I would blow the entire thing for the extraterrestrial crowd, so it, it would be a kind of like uh, Bassett would have to be my apologist when I got done talking and saying, but if if even one UFO that Jeff has seen was extraterrestrial, <laughs> that's what we're after. Um, you know I I to me it it just it, it is to me and has been for a long time evading. The official channels and uh, and going right to the individual, and that's how I think disclosure is going to happen. It's eventually just going to be something everyone knows. It's not going to be this revelation at a, at a given point in time. Um, I think it's part of, of of how this whole thing is evolving. It's just becoming more and more apparent and evident to people. Uh, and the only people not acknowledging it are people in official channels because maybe they don't know. But anyway. It's a good way to think about it. I guess. Yeah, and I mean, you know, as far as CNN showing up and all that, I mean, you know, in, in one sense, uh, to, to the, the exo-political press conferences, Angela's right that, um, well, she's right that uh, that not a lot is, is becoming of it, right? Uh, right? But on the other hand, not a lot of it needs to, because all it really serves is Stephen Bassett to be able to go back to his uh, money people, his constituents, or whatever you want to call them, his, mm. his financial backers, mm. 
uh, and say, look, I was on CNN, so we're getting somewhere, so give me more money for more ex conferences. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not as though he needs to go on there uh, and knock it out of the park and have CNN talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. He just right. needs to appear on TV so he can collect his money. Right. Well, well, there is nothing to knock out of the park. That's the other part. <laughs> well, I mean, I think like I think like after years of doing the X conference, he's got to know that that's the only the only uh, function of of doing those press conferences. Well, certainly. Yeah. It's not it's not to get wide public exposure, it's to get enough exposure to bring to financial backers to perpetuate the cycle right. of press right. conferences. Uh, I mean, I heard Angela mention something about him releasing press releases at 3 o'clock. Well, who gets those? Right. <laughs> I mean, you never hear about the X conference until one is ramping up to go, and then you hear about it for a couple days afterwards, and it disappears for next time. Um, just like any other conference. Look, he said he had inside information that there was going to be disclosure, uh, well, this month, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it didn't happen, or it hasn't happened yet, and he, of course, didn't disclose who that is, and nobody, of course, has asked him. Right. And we don't have him on our show, so we're not going to ask him. Right. But if there is another show out there listening, uh, you should ask you back to his sources. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we should have him on. Yeah, I don't nah. think <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Uh, you uh, know, I mean, what could, what what good will come of it, honestly? We'll bash him. We've seen that. Been there, done that. Yeah. Well, we don't really... I, I, think, I think we've addressed more personalities in this show than we have, which I guess every now and then you have to touch upon being involved in this stuff. But uh, um, I don't know. I'd prefer to stick with the phenomena itself and see where we go from there. So anyway, next show, George Hansen, right? Uh, that's right. Excellent. You know? <laughs> this will be your therapy. This will be your walking up to right. somebody and saying I've experienced right. I, I need to get a couch in the broadcast booth here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll be right on for that. From here, we bid you good, good week, week, good day, good night, and good luck. <laughs>